whether you are solidly in the faith or whether you're thinking about Christianity uh, for the first time or maybe you're struggling with whether or not you really are a Christian, what Jesus has to say here in John 14 is the essential message um, of Christianity, and it will speak to each one of us this morning. Uh, So I want to invite you to think with me about this line in verse 8 where Philip says to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father. Show us, a, show us a miracle or a vision or something. Show us the amazing. Show us the transcendent. Show us something we've never seen before. And then we'll believe. Then we will have faith. Then, you know. Look at what Jesus says to him in reply. Philip, Philip, right now, you can see and know the Father through me. That is the essence of Christianity. That through Jesus Christ, we can personally know and trust in God the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. That is what every single person in the world was made for. It's what every single one of us need. It's the key to understanding the human condition. It's the key to your life. Knowing God personally Knowing God and knowing him personally, in relationship, in love, in trust, in in such a trusted relationship that you would stake your whole life on it. Trend experts will say that the more urbanized and the more high-tech a society gets, the more we feel the need for the personal. The more technology alienates us from, from one another, the more we sense the absence of engaging as persons. The more disconnected we are from one another, like the 14-year-old boy, I guess, who was on his bike at the beach, uh, one hand on the bike and one hand on the phone riding through the neighborhood until he got about three feet from my front bumper, and he was just in another world. And, 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 and technology does that to us. It, it disconnects us from the people around us. And another way to say it is this. If you live in a high-tech society, high touch becomes all the more important. Now, you know this feeling. If you've ever fought with the computer because it would not do what you wanted it to do, you know what I'm talking about, right? Or, or you get stuck in the phone zone. You ever been stuck in the phone zone? Press one for directory. <laughs> Press two for customer service. Press three if you'd like to blow up the whole world right now. <laughs> you know how you feel like, This is horrible. Get me out. I would just like to talk to a person. Could somebody please answer me on the other side of the phone, right? You want to engage in personal conversation. You want to have someone who you know is listening to your voice who can help you solve the problem. So something else that contributes to this feeling is the mobility of our society. Everybody's moving. We're moving jobs. We're moving places we live. It used to be that your neighbors were people you would live next door for 20 or 30 years. You would know those neighbors, and you would need to interact well with them because, you know, the neighborhood depended on that. It's not like that anymore. Or it used to be that you would go to work for a company, and you'd work for that same company for 20 or 30 years. And you would do your best for that company, and you would stay with that company, and that company would help you, and you would help that company. Not anymore. And because we move around so much, where we live and work 
there's this tendency to use one another. There's a tendency for young professionals to use the company, and there's the tendency for the company to use young professionals. And when that happens, you begin to feel less and less like a person and more and more like a commodity. Uh, so that business world and business life and transactions begins to kind of overtake your life. And when all that happens, you feel more and more pronounced this disparity between that and what it means to be a person. After a while, you feel more like an object of someone's possession than a person in a relationship. The reason that you long for that which is personal is because God made you as a person, and he made you to relate to other people. He made you ultimately for the express purpose of knowing him in a personal relationship with his son, Jesus Christ, through his son, Jesus Christ. Everything else about your life and work and family relationships flows out of your relationship with God. So, so why is my life so complicated? Or my job so unfulfilling? Or how come I lack the, the consistent wisdom to make good decisions? Or why are my personal finances out of order? Why am I so jealous of other people all the time? Why am I so critical of others? Why am I so easily critical of other people? How come I don't have any really close friends? Some of you feel like, feel like I felt a few weeks back when we were at the lake and one of my sons took his, opened the bale of the fishing rod and threw it out to cast it and all of a sudden, what happened? This rat's nest right there in the fishing line. And some of you feel like that's what your life is like and things are tangled up. And, and so what you do is you kind of pull on and start pulling and you just start pulling in whatever direction because you're frustrated and that's what you do when you're frustrated. You just start pulling and it gets, what happens? The knot gets tighter and more complicated until you find that one single strand. The one strand that you pull on and then all of a sudden things begin to loosen up and you pull a little harder on that strand and then the whole thing loosens up and it begins to make sense. What I'm saying to you this morning is that your life may be tangled up because you're not pulling on the single strand. And the single strand that I want to encourage you to think about this morning is personally knowing God, depending on him, and walking with him through Jesus Christ, his son. That's the strand that's going to untangle your life and make sense of everything else that doesn't seem to make sense right now. So two simple points. One, the importance of knowing the Father. And two, the difficulty of knowing the Father. Think with me about the importance, the supremacy, the, the in, it's indispensable, the importance of knowing God the Father. And look at, at verse 9 with me for just a moment. Look closely at verse 9. Jesus says, Philip, have I been with you so long and you still don't know me? That's a staggering sentence. Have I been with you this long, Philip? I, I, 
at, at a, ba- a very basic level, of course, Philip and the others know Jesus. They've been with him for almost three years now. And no doubt there's a growing loyalty to him, and yet there remains a profound spiritual ignorance about who Jesus is about the essence of who Jesus really is. That's a staggering verse. I want you to let that sink in for a moment. Have I been with you and you have been with me for so long and still you don't know me, Philip? You don't know that when you've seen me, you have seen God the Father? What Jesus is saying is something like this. Philip, it is possible to be around me for a long time to observe miracles, to hear my teaching, even be busy in Christian activity like caring for the sick and feeding the hungry and miss the point. I mean, you'd have to agree that Philip was on the inside. He's in the first discipleship club with Jesus. And as highly as he thinks of Jesus, he does not yet grasp that Jesus is the embodiment of, of everything that characterizes what is good and true and right and beautiful about God. He's the embodiment of that. Philip, how do you not know that I am the way to the Father at this point? Philip, how can you not see? This is a pretty remarkable statement. And the reason it's a remarkable statement is that, this. listen, there's a significant difference. I want you to hear this this morning. There's a significant difference between knowing about someone and knowing someone. Are you with me? There's a huge difference between knowing about someone and actually knowing someone. I know about Johnny Robinson, the strong safety who was recently inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame last weekend. I know about that strong safety Johnny Robinson. I know that he played in Super Bowl one. I, I know that he, Super Bowl one. It wasn't even called the Super Bowl, was it? It was the AFL NFL championship and, and Super Bowl four. And I know that he held just about every record you could hold as a defensive back, and that he was one of the most influential defensive backs to kind of break into the strong safety position and change the game. I know he was an amazing football player, but I don't know him. I don't know him like Dr. Robinson knows him, like like Kerry Robinson knows him because he's Uncle Johnny to Kerry. He spent time with Uncle Johnny. He's played, he, he, he's played tennis with Uncle Johnny. He's been on the LSU campus with uh, Uncle Johnny. He knows Uncle Johnny, and he's, he's family with Uncle Johnny, and, and he, he loves Uncle Johnny, and he knows Uncle Johnny in a way that I, I will never know him. So I want you to hear this this morning. It is possible to know about God. Are you listening? It is possible to know about God and not to know him personally, not to really know him and walk with him and trust him. It's possible to know information about Jesus and the Bible. This is a dangerous book. In in some ways, this is dangerous. You can get just enough information from this book to think you know what you're doing. It's possible to know information about Jesus and to attend church and even be a church member without truly knowing, personally knowing God. Think about it. You can get to know some people and some things about some people from a distance, you know, by eavesdropping or listening into a conversation or 
just watching from a distance. You, you can get to know, it's not always accurate, but we do it all the time. But it's not until you risk yourself in conversation. It's not until you step towards someone. It's not until you meet a new person in the commons and move toward them and don't just hear about them. Oh, that's so-and-so. Yeah, oh, is that who that is? Okay, yeah, that's so-and-so. Maybe I'll meet them another time, right? It's not until you actually step towards someone and say, hey, let's get some coffee, let's, let's have some conversation, that you personally get to know them. And Jesus is saying that it is entirely possible, even common, for people around him to live on secondhand information. But you don't want to do that, because that's not Christianity. The heart of Christianity is not living on what someone says from a pulpit on Sunday morning about Jesus. That's not the heart of Christianity. The heart of Christianity is you hearing the call and the voice of the Son of God and following Him personally, walking with Him personally, knowing Him personally. John 17, 3, this is eternal life. Jesus says, and this is eternal life. He's praying to the Father at this point. It's uh, sort of the end of the upper room discourse or the farewell discourse uh, that John mentioned last week. And so... Uh, 14 through 17, if you want to think about it that way. But 17 is really this prayer, this high priestly prayer that Jesus prays on our behalf. And in the middle of the, at the beginning, at the beginning of the prayer, Jesus says, this is eternal life. This is life. This is what life is all about, that they might know you, Father, and your Son, that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Like, that is your purpose in life, to know God personally and to rest your hope and trust on him personally in concrete ways. Jeremiah 9 says, let not the wise man boast in his, what? Wisdom. Let not the strong man boast in his strength, or the rich man boast in his riches, but let the one who boasts boast about this, that you know me and understand who I am, that you might know me. Christianity is about personally knowing God. In other words, being the most intelligent, highly recruited grad student in the state of Virginia, or being the strongest, most successful athlete in the state of Virginia, or being the wealthiest person on Forbes magazine's top 10 list, is never going to make you happy. Because you weren't made for that. You weren't made to find your greatest delight in intellectual achievement, wealth, or athletic prowess. You were made to delight in God, to know him. Ask anyone who has experienced both, and you will get a consistent answer. Anybody who's experienced both amazing wealth and success, or athletic success, or incredible intelligence and giftedness, ask any one of those persons who's also put it up against knowing God personally in and through Jesus Christ, and those things lose every time. It's amazing. When you hear people give testimony, I had this, and once I got used to having it, it wasn't enough. It, it's never enough. Here's what, Christianity, here's what Christianity teaches. God is enough. <laughs> Nothing else is ever enough. Psalm 46 says this, 
be still. Many of you know this verse. You might not know it's Psalm 46, but I think you know it. Be still and what? Know that I am God. In the midst of the turmoil, the nations are raging, the, the sea, the, the, the mountains are crumbling. It feels like mass shootings are going on everywhere. It feels like there's nowhere I could put my foot and it would be solid. And, and there's no place that I could go and it would be secure. And there's no someone I could turn to. In the midst of that, the psalmist says, be still. God says, be still. And know me. Know that I am God. Personally knowing God is what Christianity is about. And yet, you and I seem to live in ways that, that, that doesn't, does, that, that's not in, it's not in concert with that. And we wonder why we're frustrated. Ask the average person who Jesus is and why he came to die, and you'll get things like he was a great example, uh, or a spiritual guru, or one of the most influential teachers of all time. If you ask in the Bible Belt, you'll get an answer like this. Hey, he came to die for our sins. Of course, Jesus came to die for our sins. But look at what Jesus says here. Jesus says, I came to make it possible for you to know God personally and to enter into a lifelong, eternal relationship with him. My life and ministry, my death, my burial, my resurrection, my ascension to the right hand of the Father is all for the ultimate purpose that I might bring you back into relationship with him, that you might know him. That's why he became a person. That's why Jesus became a person and not a thing, to rescue us, to usher us back into the personal presence and relationship of God the Father. That's the importance of, of knowing God personally. Nothing else is going to work for you. I, I'm just, yeah, it's the claim of Christianity that nothing else is going to work for you but knowing God personally. There is a difficulty with this. There is a challenge, and that's the second point. Because for many of us, this creates a problem. And the problem is that Jesus says it so clearly here in chapter 14, verse 6. The problem for so many of us here is that, is that the New Testament sets up a priority and an order of things that we just don't like. Many of us don't like. In a sense, the New Testament will not speak to you about anything else until you answer one simple question. What do you make of Jesus Christ? Who do you say that I am? And that frustrates us because we have good questions and we have many questions. The difficulty in knowing the Father is that the gospel and the gospel writers set up a priority of things that goes like this. You must first answer the question, will you yield? Will you know? Will you respond to who is he? Who do you say that I am? Jesus says. And many of our questions are good questions. We have intellectual questions. Some of them are primarily intellectual. Some of them are primarily deep psychological, emotional questions maybe couched in terms of intellect. But we've got questions for all sorts of reasons. 
Like, why is there so much evil and suffering in the world? Another mass shooting, El Paso, Dayton, Mississippi. Or what about all the people who've never heard the gospel? What's God going to do with them? Or how am I going to get rid of this enslaving habit? What can Jesus do to help me with this habit that's not good for me? Or what if I, if I were to follow Christ, what's Christianity going to do to my political views? Is it going to make me more liberal or more conservative? Or how can, you, how can you trust an ancient text? Surely a, a text as old as the Bible has errors in it. How can you trust the veracity of the Bible? Or here's, here's a good one. I've always wanted to know, how do you turn the other cheek? That does not make sense to me. How do you turn the other cheek? We've got questions, question after question after question, and they're good questions, but I want you to understand something this morning. The New Testament is relentlessly silent it's like the Bible keeps coming back and saying, uh-uh, not answering that one, not answering that one, not answering that one, not, uh-uh, 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 no, not until you are willing to see who Jesus is as the Son of God. When you are willing to believe and see and yield your life to the way, the truth, and the life, when you're willing to acknowledge that no one comes to the Father except through me, once that happens, the whole world opens up to you. It's amazing. And the gospel invitation is to yield to a person, not to a set of intellectual propositions. If Christianity were primarily an intellectual proposition, that's where we would start. If Christianity were primarily a therapy session, that's what we would do, but it's not. If Christianity were primarily a philosophy, then we could, we could start there. It's not. Christianity is primarily a person. And that makes some of us uncomfortable because we don't want to yield control of our lives. And I get that. But you'll never understand the scriptures, and the New Testament will not come alive to you until you see that, that Jesus is saying in verse 6, I am the way. I want, you to, I want you to come into a relationship with me. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I want you to hear, read, see, think everything in light of me. I'm the life. Like I'm the one who defines life. I'm the one who defines the goodness of life. I'm the one who gave you life. Yeah, the Bible will not make sense to you. The New Testament especially will not make sense to you until you first accept what Jesus says about himself and then enter into a relationship with him and move from knowing about him to knowing him and walking with him and, and making personal disclosure. That's what confession is, by the way. If you're looking for a basic definition of repentance and confession from the Christian perspective, it's being willing to disclose yourself. Just like you would disclose yourself in a meaningful relationship to another person. Anybody who's in relationship with another person knows that for that relationship to count for anything, you've got to trust each other with stuff, right? Like I tell you stuff, and then you tell me stuff, and I tell you more stuff, and you tell me more stuff, and then we become friends. Are you with me? But if you can't trust one another with your stuff, there's no relationship. Jesus says, I want you to come into a relationship with me through the disclosure of yourself. Like I, like Jesus, I'd love to know God and 
I'd love to know the Father, but I don't know what I'm doing, and I don't think you know, like, what's in here, because I would need you to, oh, yeah, I know exactly what's in here. And if you'll disclose that to me, not because I need to know it, I already know it, but because you need to confess it. If you'll disclose that to me in relationship, I will bring you to the Father. I will grow you in your faith. I will teach you what it means to walk with the Son of God. That's personal relationship. The difficulty that I'm describing here is that many of you don't want a personal relationship of any kind. You want to keep yourself at a distance because it keeps you in control. And the same thing that's making it hard for you among other people is the same thing that's making it hard for you with God. I don't want to lose control of my life. I like being in charge. Um, I don't want people to think I'm a religious fanatic, so I am not going to label myself a Christian. Or I don't like what he might call me to do. Or what if Christianity is wrong? You see the difficulty of knowing the Father? So Jesus says, in the midst of all this, Jesus says this profound sentence, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Nobody ever gets to God. If anybody ever in the world, in the universe has ever gotten to God, it's been through me. I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. It's another radical claim. If Jesus is not saying he's divine, if he's not saying he's fully God, I have no idea what he's saying. It's a radical claim to his divinity. I'm the way. You need to grapple with that sentence. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. Why do I keep looking for other ways? Why am I so easily deceived? Why is life coming up empty? Jesus says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Let me close with this great paragraph from uh, one of the most well-published books of all time other than the Bible. It's called The Imitation of Christ by Thomas Akempis. Listen to Akempis on, on 14.6. Here's what he says. Let this, let this, let this just... Let this into your life. Let this into your heart this morning. Here's what Akempis says. Follow me. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Without the way, there is no going. Without the truth, there's no knowing. Without the life, there's no living. I am the way which you must follow, the truth which you must believe, the life for which you must hope, the inviolable way, the infallible truth, the unending life. I am the way that is straight, the supreme truth, the life that is true, the blessed, uncreated life. If you abide in my way, you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free, and you will attain life everlasting. Don't you want freedom this morning? I do. Freedom to live as God made you to live in a vital, life-giving relationship with God the Father, personally through Jesus. So what I want to do this morning is I want to invite you, if you've not done this before, to, to pray in the next few moments and just say, God, I, I want in. I don't know what to do, um, but I want to yield my heart to you.
And then after the service, several of us will be around, and we would love to talk with you, per, maybe the person you came with. Um, there's, there are people all over this room who would love to talk with you about following Jesus more faithfully, truly. If you're a believer this morning, I want to pray for you as well. So would you pray with me? Father, thank you for sending your beloved son. Lord, I, I do believe and I trust that Jesus, that you are the way, the truth, and the life by which everything else in the world should be seen. Father, thank you for Jesus. Spirit, thank you for opening my eyes. If you're thinking about following Christ for the first time today, pray a simple prayer that says, Lord, I, I want to, to yield my life. I want to I know Jesus personally. And I am willing to relinquish self-control. Just pray a simple prayer like that. And begin to yield your life to Christ today. Jesus, we thank you for letting us come together. We thank you for a church that's full of people who want to follow you and who want to treat one another with the kindness and mercy of Christ. Help us as we sing to confess our faith and to bless you in praise, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's sing in response.